niche brands and businesses and creators with a purpose are creating their own worlds that are meaningful to people and helping people be the absolute best versions of themselves in whatever way they define that. And the faster we get to that world, I think, you know, the better off we're all going to be. Thanks for pressing play. That voice you just heard is the founder of Mighty Networks, Gina Bianchini. And this is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, the podcast for people who value real, different conversations about how to design a legendary business and a legendary life. We are sponsored by Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business today at netsuite.com slash different. All right, Gina, uh, this is her second time with us. This is a fantastic entrepreneur, entrepreneur, and she is a, pi a real pioneer in social networking. She has a very different and distinct point of view about how to build digital communities. And there's a growing body of evidence and a growing, bo growing body of thinking that says a massive all-purpose uh, social network is not what most people want. What they do want are small niche networks. And Gina is at the forefront of this movement. Go to Lockhead.com to check out the show notes and get the key takeaways from this episode and learn more about Gina and Mighty Networks. Now, hey-ho, let's go. you know, since the last time we talked, we, you know, Mighty Networks, we are a platform for creators with a purpose, people who are brands and businesses that fundamentally want to bring people together and bring people together so that they can make and build relationships with each other, that they can learn together, that they can access content, that they can access online courses. And most importantly for these creators, get paid for the trouble, get paid to actually be somebody that helps other people become the best versions of themselves, which if you think about it, like that's a pretty fucking great job. I so, think it's the job everybody fucking wants today. Like I think it's the job that everybody wants today. And so what's really fun is, is even since the last time I, I think the first time I was on your podcast was almost a year ago. And in has a it year, been that long? it has, wow. it was, I think it was Christ. June. I think it was June or July of last year. Wow. Well, we, you definitely have to come on once a year, if not twice. Well, I, I think that that is a totally reasonable thing for us to do together. Um, so here's and what's are we really still cool. having a bromance. I, I mean, I'm still feeling it. I don't know if you are. I feel it. Dude, I am just feeling it. Like, I think it's awesome. So let me finish what I'm seeing because it's super cool. So what's been what's been fantastic, you know, we started as a community platform. We started like just with the bringing people together piece. And then it was our creators. It was our customer who came back to us and they're like, dudes, can you please add online courses to what you are building? So we add online courses. We add more ways of doing content. And then they're like, hey, here's the thing. I've just spent the last, and, and we heard it over and over and over again. I kind of, I found my niche. I have built an audience around that niche. And now I'm ready to not only engage people more deeply, 
and a, a lot of times engage people more deeply in a way that's not distracting and not actually having to send people to four different platforms or 10 different platforms. It's just kind of a mess. And now it's like, what if I could actually charge money for something, whether that's events, whether that's access to you know membership access, because these relationships that they can build with me and other people are like really cool and awesome or uh, online courses. Like I can charge for a course, but what I'm really doing is building a community. And so we're about to launch uh, this ability to, to charge and, and package up, whether it's a combination of courses within a mighty network or events or groups all in one place. And That's so Chris, awesome. It's really cool. It's really, really cool. And then we, you know, we have the way, a way to like upgrade to replace the need for custom development. If you want an iOS app, an Android app, a web app, like all together in one place, it's not cheap, but like which, what somebody's going to pay for WordPress development or a firm to do iOS development is the best deal in town. So what, what I think is so fascinating about where we're at and what I was super excited in the spirit of our bromance to come back and, and really talk to you about, because I'm curious, like over the last year, what you've seen as well is not only is this notion of finding your niche, like finding your category gotten, it, you know, it has been validated, but like, holy moly, like what's really fundamental, two things are really fundamental and happening right now. One is we are all desperate for smaller, more specialized ways of building relationships having amazing experiences and like gaining expertise and the people that can put that together for us will win in a way that has just not been possible before. Yes. And so I wanted and, to share something with you in this yeah, regard. Please, please. Uh, I, did you uh, by chance, um, we had Joe Pine on the podcast a while ago. Did you happen to hear that episode with him? I didn't. I didn't. So it's worth going back and listening to, particularly okay. for you and your business. He's the godfather of experience. Pardon me? I will take that as an action item. I love that. <laughs> well, you're supposed to listen to every episode, Gina. Come on. I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, so he's the godfather of experience. He wrote The Experience Economy about 20 years yep. ago. And I think he's one of the smartest thinkers in our world today. And he said this profound thing. You know, every once in a while somebody says something and I sort of stop and got him to say it again. But he said, you're either a brand or a company that people save time with or spend time with. Oh, that's really good. Right? He didn't get to be Joe Pine by accident. No, and that is a really, really good way of seeing it. Well, you know, the and thing for me with you is, and you tell me, but this is the connection I made with Mighty Networks is Mighty Networks is for companies, brands, creators, whatever you want to call them, who want to be someone that people spend time with. Yes. And here's the amazing thing about what it means for people to want to spend time with you and your brand, who you bring together matters as much or more to their experience with your brand and the kind of time they want to spend with your brand as any single thing that you can do 
as that creator. Yes. As that brand. Yes. And we know this in tech world as a network effect, you know, something that gets more valuable with every new person who joins. For any creator, for any entrepreneur, for anybody who's thinking about how do I build and carve out my own niche in the world, the ways, it's not about a content strategy. It's not about an editorial calendar. That's a part of it. It's about an engagement strategy. It's about an experiential strategy. It's about how are you thinking about who you're bringing together and what you want them to do together. Yeah. And here's the crazy thing, Chris. The more and more isolated that we all feel in our daily lives, the more valuable each and every one of these niche brands and businesses that can create compelling experiences, uh, make it safe and comfortable and normal and natural to meet new people and gather expertise all at the same time. What we're really talking about is like almost the professionalization of being a human being. <laughs> and, well, and, and the, thing that I find and the so more comfortable you make it, like for people, like you can attract people in and, and introduce them to each other. That is now something people will pay you for. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's been this huge explosion in these, these things that people call them mastermind groups, right? That and is correct. I was at, uh, I think it was Hal Elrod, John Berghoff's uh, best year ever, if I'm not mistaken. And there was this group of dudes wearing black, t-shirts that had some dude like stuff on the front of them and I'm like strong what? dude strong dude tea exactly strong yeah. dude t-shirts and like strong rich dude t-shirts you know oh yeah <laughs> even better and so we're running into these guys in the hotel and stuff and we're like who are you guys and they're like some highfalutin mastermind group and and i i think if i'm remembering right gina they said that guys pay a hundred thousand dollars to join, and then I don't know what the annual maintenance is. This mastermind group, and I'm and, and and I'm not taking anything away from these things, but I'm sitting there going, "Wow, people are willing to spend giant amounts of money to have, to use your term, experiences with like-minded people," and and I find that fascinating. Yeah, well, you know, we've been doing it for years. They're called conferences. Um, and by the way, conferences are pretty shitty for the most part. Um, so, so, you know, the rethinking of a 360 degree, uh, brand experience, relationships, curation, and expertise all kind of wrapped into one thing is, is new and it's becoming increasingly valuable as we are more and more isolated. We are, uh, despite being more connected, we know we have to, con- you know, the only thing that we know is that we have to keep learning. You know, something like 87% of American workers know that they have to actually continue to invest in uh, professional development and learning. And we want, you know, we, we understand that like, you know, another t-shirt is not going to actually bring us happiness. It's the meaning behind the t-shirt that's, you know, the experience that the t-shirt represented 
or the the identity and the membership that that represents is what yes, matters. That's and a, you're wearing a badge. You're wearing a you're wearing a, a badge, a, a, a Girl Scout badge. And so, I think that what we're seeing fundamentally is a, a restructuring away from you know your neighborhood into your niche and your nichehood. Your nichehood, and that is going to become increasingly powerful. And, and again, it has, it has challenges in some respect, depending on what the niche is, that, that is your identity, that is your tribe, that is the set of people that you identify with. But man, if we don't actually make the tools easier for everybody to be able to, you know, at least throw their hat in the ring and try to bring people together around even better things, more interesting things, um, then, then we've got bigger problems. And in fact, actually, I think the world that we can build deeper, more meaningful relationships in smaller groups with people that like have a niche really defining it and providing context to it is fundamentally awesome because it's the way that human beings are built. Yes. You know, it's why we like are drawn to communities and we've been in sort of a weird, we've been in a weird transitional phase that I think, you know, what, what, what today shows more than anything is, you know, we all don't want to be on the same place, you know, and having our community experience as a feed whizzing bias of all these different things at one at one time. What we want and we need is to be able to go deeper with people, which is why podcasts are taking off. Like, you know, if you think about it, it's crazy. But like, I, I, I don't know about you. And it, like, conversations can go on for an hour. And it's like, you've got friends. It's like, it's the way that we're getting connections. So I think we're just like, I think it's really going to be interesting. And I also think that these creators with a purpose, these entrepreneurs who are bringing people together around a niche and selling digital services, essentially, uh, membership and rewards, uh, online courses and, uh, and events, event tickets, event experiences, they are going to save us. They're going to save us all. (laughs) Well, and I, you know, I, I think this is fascinating about podcasts, and I also think it's fascinating about what you're doing with Mighty Networks. The aha I had with podcasts uh, uh, pretty recently is, you know, if you think about the smartphone and all the negative things we hear about that and how distracted we are and how disconnected it makes us feel and you know the, everybody's bullshit Instagram life and all of that, right? So there's all that negativity, and I think we need to talk about some of those things. Yeah. But those things in, in, in part created a massive amount of uh, new kind of ADHD. Everybody's got ADHD now, right? And, and when I first started this podcast, you know, people said, listen, you got to keep this thing short. It's got to be 20 minutes or less. <laughs> and you got to I know this, where you're going with and this, you yeah. that. And da 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 right? And I said, fuck that. None of that is what I'm interested in. I'm going to try and create the podcast I want to hear. And this is the podcast I want to hear because I didn't hear it anywhere else. Anyway, Mm -hmm. long story longer, uh, it worked. And the interesting thing to me about it, and there's a lot, you know, if you think about some, you know, one that comes to mind is Jordan Peterson, if you know who he is, right? Yes. This is this nerdy Canadian professor. 
And now he's this massive sensation. Or, you know, another one is uh, less nerdy, I think cooler, uh, Scott Galloway, you know, who's this massive YouTube phenomenon as a as a NYU professor right now. He's got a podcast with Kara Swisher and all that stuff. And so and what's my point? Isn't it fascinating that the smartphone that caused this ADHD for everybody is now the platform that is causing deep engagement and having people who want to have experience long form dialogue, long form conversations about shit they care about. And they'll sit there and they'll listen to an hour or in some cases, three hours of these conversations about philosophical things, business things, art, creative things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now for you to kind of come in alongside of or behind or however you think about it and then around around it, surround it. Okay. With the capability of creating a, a, a true sense of connected community around these ideas and the people yes. who care about these ideas and, and who want to explore them and dig into them and da, 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 da. It's just fascinating to me that the technology that has been lambasted for destroying our humanness in this regard is now the technology that is the platform that makes a Gretchen Rubin or a Jordan Peterson possible. Right. Um, yes. And in part, it's this. Yes. The fact that you can you can be at your job all day listening to a, a podcast. In fact, we're commuting more. Um, the fact that audio travels in a way that video doesn't. That like being distracted on your phone whizzing in a feed doesn't there's something extremely profound about it. And I think what's so fascinating to me is that when you look at a Tim Ferriss podcast or Joe Rogan podcast, they're like an hour and a half. Or three in some cases. Or three, exactly. So, you know, when you just look at the fact that it's almost like we had to use a different sense, instead of using our eyes, we had to use our ears to be able to, to experience ideas and people and conversation and connection in a very different way. One that actually allowed us to, to collectively get connected is right. The other thing that's going on that I think is absolutely fascinating is that, you know, with any new technology shift, it starts in one place and platforms get built out to do one thing. And that's been a real like uh, assumption that, that, you know, the of the last like six or seven years or even 10 years of, of software platforms has been, you have to do one thing well. So, you know, we have an events platform or like I'm, you know, a course platform or I'm a membership and rewards platform And here's the thing, or I do podcasts. Here's the big insight that we have found in my networks, not because we're super smart. We just happen to like bring more pieces together. And because of that, we attracted these folks in. Everyone is doing everything. Everyone is doing everything, which means that the organization that we are moving to is that media brand, whatever you want to call it, 
it's moving from I do this piece to this is my niche. This is my this is my hook. This is the thing I bring people together around. And within the context of the thing I bring people together around, I do a podcast. I have retreats. I do a weekly call. I organize groups. I have, you know, an entry level course. I have a, you know, intermediate course. I have an advanced course. I have, you know, a a trip every year that 20 or 50 of us go away for a week to deep dive around this interest. This is the new media company. This is also the way that we are building community. We want to go deep with people around a niche, around an interest, around a lifestyle, around a philosophy. And it's where we want to invest our time and where we want to invest our money. It's interesting. Uh, I'm reminded of, we had Catherine Mindshu on the podcast. She's uh, the founder yeah. of Muse. Yeah, she's great. Uh, yeah, I really, I really um, grew to admire her tremendously. And one, two things. One, just as a side note, you know, she got rejected by a zillion. V- I, she told me the number. It was some staggering. It was in the hundreds, right? Yeah. And she just kept banging at it. And sooner or later, of course, it worked. But to, to underscore your point, and I was just looking on her website as you were talking to see how they kind of position themselves today, but. Um, they say the muse job search companies hiring near me and career advice and her idea which is part of why everybody told her to get fucked in the beginning is that content and coaching and courses and searching for jobs and under you know all of the things that that you might want to have around so she's living proof that what you say is true because that was her vision she got rejected for being too scattered when in point of fact people you know she's discovered want to come to one place and have all of the things that you just described yeah Uh, i think that we the market shifted under all of those investors' feet. And it's only shifting more and more and more from you gotta you gotta focus on a single function to when a creator who tends to care more about people and their content and their expertise than the technology behind it, they don't want to go to seven different platforms. And more importantly, their members don't want to go to seven different platforms, especially when some of those platforms don't give you any data where you you have to pay to play. I mean, boosting on Facebook is pay to play. And that you basically, you, you're going to lose people every time you go make them pay on your website and then cruise over to an invitation to something else somewhere else. And do that seven times and you don't even know what the potential of your business is. You don't even know how far you can bring your brand. And when you instead approach it and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to like, I am building a brand that brings people together. And within that context, I am going to use expertise 
um, through online courses or other kinds of you know connections and sessions and 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 groups, for example, I am going to help organize experiences through events and um, you know even organizing small groups and meetups and like just what does it mean to run like a small group? Gretchen Rubin is a great example of this around. Um, you know, a, a mighty network that she has called Better. And it's basically got nearly 90,000 people in it. And it's her super fans that are actually organizing into small groups to be accountable to each other and to learn together around the things that, you know, she's she's done such a great job of articulating the frameworks for whether it's the four tendencies, which is the way that you actually respond to expectations placed on you or the happiness project or outer order, inner calm, or as I like to call it, if you want to be happy, clean out your garage, <laughs> um, which is totally true. Like it Does is the fastest garage path. make you happy, Gina? It, you know what? It actually does. I've done this now twice. Both times I felt wonderful. Um, but when you look at the, the idea where where you as a creator with a purpose is the you are the you are the siren and you bring people together and you create the experiences, the surfacing of a natural way of meeting people and sharing expertise and then like that's that's the future. And all of these things are coming together. Um, in ways that, you know, when you have a holistic view of your brand, you know this better than anybody. Like when you can bring more and more pieces together, you create something extraordinarily powerful. Yeah, I, I agree. And I have this question I'm dying to ask you. I, I talked to a guy I respect deeply um, in the last week or so, and he and his company have uh-huh. essentially fucked off the internet they have a one-page website they turned off the vast you know twitter facebook he said he's still on linkedin but hardly goes anymore and they were doing all the things that you and i are talking about right now and he read some book called you know why you should fuck off the internet or what i I don't know what yeah there's a couple of them both of like I haven't, I've read one, but not the other, but keep going. But yeah, there's one that says why you should get off social media, right? I don't know what the exact title of the book is. I I looked it up and it's in my, uh, it's in my, uh, the uh, the irony of course is it's in my shopping cart on Amazon. (laughs) Right. And there's part of me, look, if I, if I'd be totally candid, there's part of me that goes, you know, that's right. Fuck it. It's just too much and it's distracting and it's this, you know, you go to the negative place and there's others, a negative side to some of it. Yeah. But then I look at it on from a business perspective and I go, well, doing what I do, I don't think you can do that. I just don't know how right. you can be a successful author, podcaster, guy today and just say, fuck it. I'm, you know, I'm not on social media. That's more from a, if you want to call it business perspective. But yep. then I look at it also on a personal basis. You know what? I like my Instagram feed. I, 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 you know, I like seeing pictures of muscle cars and people surfing and it's a distraction, but it's a fun distraction. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, you know, Facebook has gotten less fun for me over time, but as my personal Facebook is less fun, the, the Facebook around the podcast is actually 
really cool. People send in cool stuff. They go, Hey, I, this, this needs to be here. You know, I got one recently with a, with a kid with a cape on and there was this big sign that said, do epic shit on it. And, um, Eric Hunley from the unstructured podcast sent it to me. And he's like, this needs to be here. Right. And it's like, and people comment and, 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 and on and on yes. and on, you know, there's, uh, I had this wonderful exchange uh, about uh, Jerry Colonna's new book with Jerry and a bunch of people. And, yep. and so there's, there are these pockets of, you know, some great things happen for me on a pretty regular basis on, on LinkedIn. And, and so I sort of, there's part of me that goes, yeah, fuck it all. And then uh, the business side of me goes, no, that you just, that doesn't work. But then I look at it authentically on the personal side and go, are there some negatives personally? Sure. Are there some distractions that maybe I don't want to have in my life? And, you know, somebody with ADHD anyway, that's not yeah. necessarily helpful. However, it's way more great than it is shitty. Way more. And we need to figure out how to dampen down the shitty for sure. But the truth is, I think a lot of us have forgotten the kinds of things that you're saying. It's like, wait a minute. I do connect with people all the time because of a digital relationship. This podcast right. has brought so many people into my life that in so many fascinating and fantastic ways yeah. and on and on and on and on. And so I, what I applaud about what you're doing, Gina, is, you know, I think you're one of the uh, good gals, so to speak, right? You're somebody trying to figure out how to do this in a way that does connect people around niche topics and ideas and concepts and, and brands and things that, that are important to people and allow them to interact with each other and break off and do things. And, and I think that's where the fucking goodness is. And here's the thing. Digital relationships and Facebook became synonymous with each other. They're not. Full stop. They're not. And if anything, the idea that the only way to connect in meaningful ways with people on the internet is in a feed whizzing by in eight point font that you can't fucking read or in a comment section where there's a black box that is keeping you from 95% of your members that you've worked hard to get because of the algorithms and the way that they work. That is the crime. That to me is the crime. And the reality is that when you have 10,000 followers or you have an email list of even a thousand people, dirty little secret, you don't have to be on Facebook. You can, you can actually create your own digital experience under your brand with your podcast with your people with your events with your direct messaging with your posts with your content with your online courses with your subgroups and i will tell you that people are figuring this out today in a way that you know was not possible even 18 months ago. And the reason that this is such an exciting moment in time for me is that when, when a creator with a purpose who, who wants to do the goodness, who wants the things that you're talking about, 
again, it's just the problem is it's been synonymous with like, well, oh, I couldn't have those amazing conversations that you have with the people that you're having because of this podcast anywhere other than a Facebook group. That's bullshit. It's just full on bullshit with a capital B. And in reality, what's happening is that people and thank, thank God there's just a subset of people that are like, hey, whatever you do, don't start a Facebook group. We'll, we'll follow you wherever you want to go. But just like, can we just do this separately so that we can focus and we can meet the other people who are here and we can have our own world with our own culture, our own traditions. And there's no black box deciding how much we're going to hold back so that you, Chris Lockhead, have to pay money for your people to see stuff. You and I talked That's about this last time. I mean, to me, that is one of the biggest fucking ripoffs in history. And especially because, and I don't know if they ever said it explicitly, maybe you remember, but there was a point in time a while ago where sort of Facebook was maybe explicitly, maybe implicitly sort of saying, particularly a lot of smaller businesses, hey, you don't need a web page even. Like just have yep. a Facebook page, have a Facebook right. group, and all will be great. And then all of a right. sudden you have thousands of people in either. I find the group is more effective than the page. But um, but what's this bullshit around? I need to spend 50 bucks to boost a post to have any chance in hell of having the thousands of people who already <laughs> raised their hand and said, yes, I think you're awesome. I want your shit in my feed. And, and the, the provider has to pay. It's fucking bullshit. Right. Here's the thing I think is so fascinating is, you know, uh, uh, platforms such as Facebook just came out with like, oh, now groups are really important. How are they going to fund that? Are you going to are you going to have are you going to are they going to just start pushing more and more ads into your group? Are they going to hold more and more back and expect you to pay for that? Like, you know, I just don't believe digital relationships, digital communities, digital and real life and the and the niche brands and businesses that I think are the are going to save us. Um that that we're now at a point where people are willing to move. You just have to give them the opportunity to do so. And there's always going to be a handful of people who are like, "Oh, no, I need to have all this in one place. You suck for like moving off of like a general platform." But look, the, the tide on this has turned in the last six months in a way that I did not expect. And it is accelerating. Hmm. And so the thing I think is just so fascinating is, um, is you know, again, whether it's on a mighty network or whether you do build your own WordPress site to do it, although I don't recommend that, or whether it's, you know, smoke signals. The point is the more and more people, especially entrepreneurs and creators with a purpose, who understand the power and beauty, and really, I would say, you have it, I have it, the high. When you can make a connection between two people that is meaningful in their lives, where they have learned from each other, they take a risk because of it that they wouldn't have taken otherwise. They go on a trip that they wouldn't have otherwise taken, whatever it might be. But they just feel a little bit better going through something that they're a little scared of. When you think about that, there is no greater high. And the the general platforms, they are they were built by all of us, and they will be 
an important role in any brand or business, especially building an audience, but where people want to connect, where they want to engage and what they are willing to pay for has fundamentally changed over the last 12 months. Yeah, I find that interesting. The, 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 one of the things Joe said, uh, true harbinger, Joe Pine, uh, of whether or not you're a true experience business is will people pay for it? Yep. And he said his radical idea for Facebook, he said the only way that they get out of the hell that they're in is people have to start paying for Facebook. Because yeah. until the user becomes the customer, as long as the advertiser is the customer, we, the user, are going to get rat fucked by Facebook. And he said, Correct. he said, true experience yeah. businesses, people pay for that experience. Right. right. When you go to American Doll or American Girl, not, not clearly not my thing, but it, people go to. I was going with you, though. Yeah, I was you know I was with you on about, it. Right? Yeah, yeah, I was going where you go and you make the doll and you have this thing. And I don't know. I've seen it in the mall a couple of times. I'm not a mall guy, but but okay. but people go to the store to have this experience around creating the toy. This is my understanding. Am I am I getting this right? I don't know. I think so. I think so. Keep going. Okay, well, I don't know. Maybe I should use one. I fucking understand. <laughs> but the point is people will pay for an experience that they want. I'll give you one. Here's one I, I relate to. So uh, as you know, I live in Santa Cruz and I fucking love the Santa Cruz beach boardwalk. I knew you were going to say that. Why did you I know I was going to say that? Because the Santa Cruz beach boardwalk is fucking awesome. And the reason it's awesome they haven't fucked it up, right? right? It's still also got the one saltwater of- taffy. Like I could stare at that saltwater <laughs> taffy machine all day long. Like I don't even, you know, taffy's fine. I'll eat some of it, but that machine is the coolest thing of all time. And by the way, if you spend a little time with Mary Jane before you stare at the saltwater <laughs> taffy machine, it gets infinitely more it's a entertaining. Thing. It That's becomes a, thing. a whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's an experience that you can't have in other places. And they got the old games where you squirt the water into the clown's mouth and the balloon over the head pops and, and the rickety old Good roller one. coaster and, 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 and I, I buy a season's pass every year. And, you know, we have lots of friends who come in from out of town and kids and, you know, all this shit. And I'm the guy that takes people to the boardwalk. That's amazing. That's amazing. I think that's what people want. And I think the more the technology makes us feel disenfranchised and disconnected, the more more, we want this. Right. It's it's what what drives value. Scarcity drives value. What has become more and more scarce? The the ability to easily and naturally meet other people. When everybody's on their phone, it's really hard to like strike up a conversation. Now, here's the secret. And here's the thing I'm so excited about is these creators with a purpose, the Gretchen Rubens of the world or, or somebody like Alain de Baden, who's a philosopher and an author who has something incredible called the school of life. Also a mighty network. Um, when, when these, they are becoming professionalized in being a human being that connects other people. It, it's when you show up at Better, Gretchen, Gretchen's Mighty Network, you know that there's always something you can talk to about any, with anybody who's there because you're both there for the same reason. 
you both have a shared language. You both are there because you're there to like go deeper together. And so I think anybody who's created a framework, uh, a, you know, a, a way of thinking or looking at the world within the context of, you know, a professional development or identity, you know, any kind of interest or hobby or passion, um, faith, uh, health and wellness, you just, the list kind of goes on and on, has the opportunity to look at their brand and look at their business as how am I showing up for people in a way that makes, you know, the people who are here feel comfortable making and building new relationships and new friendships. And in some cases, new romantic relationships because we have a shared language. uh, Dating networks with mighty networks. Yeah. They are. Yeah. It kind of happens pretty naturally and and flows really nicely. So I remember when J date first came out, and yep. I thought, well, why do you need a Jewish dating network? Can't you just go on Match.com or whatever was popular at the time and just sort of sort by – If I mean, if you care about that, which is fine to care about that. I totally get it. But but they blew everybody away with this thing, right? And, and now yeah. the other one I love I, – I love this one. And they have the greatest ads. Farmers, Farmers. only. Yeah, yeah. Right? Aren't yeah, they? So isn't good. that fucking yeah. funny? It's great. And it, and it goes back to the fact that it's not just about it's not just about the experience once you're in an app or on a dating site. It's how you get there in the first place. Like we're talking about farmers and J-date because they're easier for our brains that get thousands of inputs any day to remember. It's kind of that simple. Yeah. So so to me, you know, the reason why like I, you know, like I sing from the mountaintops about play bigger and niche down and just all the things that you really, you saw and you crystallized is because in a world where there are just so much, so many things going on, the clearer your audience, your niche is, the thing that you, you know, the, you raise, you raise your hand, and you're like, "Here are the people. Here's a sign of the people I want to bring together." It just makes it faster and easier for people to like be like, "Okay, that's me. Um, I'm in." Or you know, and that's where it's like, and and the brand, the the niche is the thing. It's the thing. And all of these things that we've been thinking about as their own things, events, courses, community, content, a podcast, they're in service to the niche. Absolutely. And even I have learned this uh and I'm supposed to be the guy on this shit, right? But I, you are I the guy it. on this. <laughs> but I learn it <laughs> every day how the niche is what makes it, and and um and this the core is the same, and you know sometimes you know sometimes I'll write a post on Cora, and you know within a few days it's got a hundred thousand views. Yeah, be like, holy shit, right? And so it's right. like, and I'm not, I don't consider myself, you know 
Like I'm not trying to get a hundred thousand views on Quora the way I'm trying to sell books or, or get podcast subscriptions. Right. right? So sometimes you have like this accidental thing. It's like, well, I just wrote this thing and, or, or I I tweeted this thing not long ago about failure or sort of a, almost like a bit of a poem about just failure is and sort of a love letter to failure. Right. And it was just a list that I posted on Twitter. Right. And like 25,000, like, and so you never know. (laughs) You never know. And this is, and here's the thing that I think so interesting about that is those things will happen. What I have at least found and what I think our most successful mighty mighty network hosts, as we call them, or creators, is everything that they do has the core as the, as the place to catch people and connect them to each other in such a way that they can, they can build something that is so much stronger than than, you know, these sort of scattershot around social media where somebody else's black box controls it. Like Cora figured out a way to get you 100,000 views on that thing. And, and you triggered something that made them show it to more people. And that's, that's not really in your control. But when it happens, fantastic, take advantage of it. But make sure that what's in that answer is also a place to catch the 1% of people who are like, Hey, I want to know more about Chris Lockett. I want to know more about what he's doing. I want to know this is, this is the gateway drug to the world of category design, you know, and cool people on a podcast, as I like to say, think about, um, <laughs> particularly so, Gina, particularly me. I mean, obviously. Um, so, so the way to really I have a think particular about, fondness for Italians and entrepreneurs well, you know what? Speaking of the niche, I'll take that. I will take that any Actually, day of the week. And if I'm uh, uh, to be completely transparent, I have a particular yeah. affinity for uh, females who are entrepreneurs. And then you, the Italian thing is really you know, it's a bonus. It's a I, bonus. I, I, I hate this because <laughs> I, I can't drink anything other than Italian wine anymore. You know, we oh. have all this great wine in California. Yeah. And I can drink. California uh, whites, and I used to drink a lot of California reds, but I just, if it's Something not, a, I, I just can't drink. I, I just love Chianti's and mm. Brunello's. Brunello's. Can we talk They're about good. Brunello's? There's no such thing they as a are bad tasty Brunello. wine. That's some tasty wine right there. Some tasty wine. What part of Italy is your family from? Luca, outside of Luca. Uh, yeah. Do you get back much? Do you go? Do you have friends and family back there? Pretty, pretty. No, I don't. You know, my great grandparents came over. My great grandparents came over um, at the turn of the century. And some came directly to San Francisco. One side of the family came directly to San Francisco. The other actually went through New York to Pennsylvania and was part of like the whole Italian immigrant coal mine scene. And then made their way out to San Francisco. And um, I I am a product of San Francisco Italian immigrants. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, my wife Carrie's Italian, of course. And uh, her grandfather came over uh, right after World War II. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. And, and they they originally landed in Ohio, and they thought 
with no disrespect to Ohio, it's fucking cold here and we can, we can't, right. they're farmers, right? Can't right. really farm here year round. Like, what are we doing here? And they were going to go back. And um, a friend of his sent a Wells Fargo and said, hey, um, there's this place called San Jose, California. It's exactly like Sicily. Land is cheap and plentiful. Everything grows here. And away they came. Yeah. My, my grandparents owned a nursery in Cupertino, um, in the, in the late forties, fifties, sixties. And, um, one of the things that was really, I didn't go to Italy for the first time until I was probably 20, 25, 26. And when I went to Italy, I went to Tuscany for the first time. And first of all, I think it's fascinating that like a bunch of people left Tuscany because right? it was like, well, not what? good you to be what? Right, exactly. And now like their their great grandchildren all go back for really expensive vacations. Um, but I <laughs> I um, and by the way, I if you there. can afford a really expensive vacation in Tuscany, and yeah. I, I don't mean to sound like a douchebag, but I can and I have done that multiple times. Right. And you know, as a guy that's traveled a ton, I really don't want to go anywhere. I want to go on one surf trip a year. I love New York. But you got to go to Italy and you got to, I mean, I just like to go fooding and whining in Tuscany. So the fact of the matter is a whole generation of people lived there and decided that they were going to save up their money, get on a boat for like six weeks, probably not in first class and cruise over to the United States. So it just like, yeah. tells you something really interesting about like the world. But, but the, the, the only point I was going to make was when I was there for the first time, I was like, this looks a lot like California. This looks like the Santa Cruz mountains. This looks like Napa. Like I can completely see how if you were, you know, an Italian from, you know, really like Tuscany down to Sicily and, and back up, how you landed in California and you're like, I get this place. This makes I know a lot what of I, sense. Yeah, right. this makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and, you know, that, so that, that to me... You, how many generations are you? Are you third, fourth generation? I'm third, yeah. Third. I'm, I'm third. Yeah. I'm third? Yeah, I'm third. I'm third, so... I'm glad to hear you do get back. Occasionally. Occasionally. Yeah. More as a, probably an American tourist than anything else, but... <laughs> do you speak um, the language at all? Mm-mm. No, because again, my... Just- my my grandparents and great grandparents were of the generation of assimilation. Yeah. You know, exactly. so it's, it's such a bummer that, you know, I have so many friends from so many different places in the world and they don't speak their mother tongue. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when we go to Italy, the, the shock on people's face when they talk to Carrie and she can't respond is like, Oh, it's no, it's embarrassing. Like with a name like Gina Bianchini, the fact that I cannot speak, like one word of Italian is kind of embarrassing, but hopefully, hopefully I have other talents. <laughs> now I'd also be remiss. I, I almost hate to bring it up, but it's such a giant topic. I, I got to ask you, how, how sure. do you think we're doing? You know, I, I, let me say it this way. I will love when the day comes where I don't feel the need to ask you and others, you know, other incredible women like you, this question, but how do you think we're doing with women in tech is, (laughs) where are we now? Um, pretty much the same. I think there's greater awareness of things. Um, 
I think that there, but I'm not sure that the needle is moving that quickly, nor by the way, did I have an expectation that it would, um, you know, this is not the kind of like, the way I sort of think about it is I, you know, we're dealing with probably what we're going on, maybe a thousand to 2000 years of like a patriarchy, like this notion that like all the women in this one small community are going to like turn a bunch of knobs and change it overnight in a year or two years. It's like, you know, I'm sorry, like, first of all, I have a day job. Second of all, I think that we'll get there. But it's also not the kind of thing that that it's like you check in every six months and you're like, oh, did we do So have we have we finished it yet? Is it done yet? Right. And I think that that's really important. I, I really think that if we're not extraordinarily careful in looking at it as saying, look, every day is a fight, but at the same point in time, um, you know, this is a, this is a long, this is a long road. We're going to potentially um, decide something hasn't worked, you know, faster than it, what than we should. think about, um, I'm not sure this had happened last time we spoke. Um, what did you think about Jerry Brown's law uh, mandating that public companies in California have at least one female director on the board? Um, you know, I'm generally not a enormous fan of regulation, but Maybe at the not. same point, yeah, but at the same point in time, it's like if people are going to be stupid and not put a woman on the board or not look for, you know, a diverse perspective, like as they're navigating an extraordinarily dynamic world, like if Jerry Brown and the California legislature wants to help people along, great. And what so, is like that meant for you in your career? I mean, you are an incredibly high profile entrepreneur with a hell of a track record. Um, you know, does that, does a fact like that mean that you get more calls for, uh, people wanting you to go on their boards than you might've a year or two ago? No, cause I was, I was getting calls already. Um, you know, I sit on, I sit on a, a public company board. I obviously sit on my networks board. Um, here's what I would say, having now sat on boards for the last eight years, boards are better when you have a diverse set of perspectives sitting around the table, when you, and and by the way, I, I look at diversity. It is as important to bring men into the mix as you know, for, for a group that's predominantly women, as it is to bring women into the mix for a group that's predominantly men, because you just get different ideas around the table that allow you to move faster, better, more effectively with better decision-making than if it is a group of all women or a group of all men. And that to me is when this is really going to start to change is when there are, when there are more and more success stories of diverse teams that be, because of the ideas that were brought around the table or because the corners that were looked around before bad decisions were made, when those become multi-billion dollar opportunities, it will still be fighting 2,000 years of a patriarchy, but it will move the needle and we will start to see a, a pickup in the ways that, that we think about what does it mean to have a team? 
What does it mean to make good decisions? Uh, what does it mean to be successful? I mean, diversity is a competitive advantage. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's, nobody really, that doesn't seem to move the needle, which I think is really stupid um, because, uh, because we're supposed to be sort of a data-driven industry and everything. Um, and, it and doesn't, the research, you know, we, we've had multiple guests on who talk about the research in this regard. And my understanding is the research is emphatic. It's very clear yeah. that diverse boards, diverse management teams yeah. do better. There, that, that is the, that is the correct. evidence shows. That's right. And so, okay, if people want to be stupid, go for it. Like, um, and, and, and if people want to be smart, even better. Now, the other thing I want to ask you about, um, I've been a champion for a long time of the enterprise technology industry, and I, I'm sort of pissed at the uh, media in our industry because, you know, they take companies that are enterprise. Or I remember when <clears throat> when um, uh, SAP bought uh, success factors. I can't remember uh -huh. the exact words, but, you know, TechCrunch wrote this article and it was so pejorative about what success factors was. And I was like, you know, fuck you guys. All you want to write about are like fart apps and shit. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, and they've gotten better s since then, but yeah. um, we saw this interesting thing happen not that long ago where um, Zoom and Facebook, uh, Zoom and um, Pinterest, Pinterest went public, public on the same, on the same day. day. Yeah. And do you remember where they closed in terms of market cap? Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. Basically the same. Yeah. Well, no, Zoom was 18 and I think uh, Pinterest was 16. Yeah. I, I apologies. I was thinking that's roughly the same, but you, well, you are okay. right. But, but, you know, Zoom's, hey, $2 billion. <laughs> but it's, interestingly it's not enough, uh, yeah. and I did an episode about this. The journal wrote what I thought was a, a fantastic article. And I, you know, I'm glad they did talking about the success of enterprise tech and that um, there's been approximately, you'll forgive me if I'm a little bit off, approximately 50 uh, enterprise companies go public since 2016 and below 20 consumer companies. And um, I think if I'm remembering the numbers right, the median uh, uh, appreciation of the stock for the consumer companies was around 15%. And for the enterprise companies, it was like 120 something percent. And so... There's this real uh, acknowledgement now of, hey, you know what? Enterprise technology is seminal. Jim Getz said years ago, there are more enterprise startups that become billion-dollar companies than consumer companies. Right. And the aha I've had, and I'm leading somewhere here, Gina, the aha I've had is the consumer business, and I don't shit on it at all. I love it. I've been involved with some great ones. It's a hit business. It's like trying to figure out the next Adele. And the enterprise business is a little less like that, a little more of a pick and shovel business. If, you, if you're willing to dig at it, you know, there's a way. And so I'm just curious to get your perspective because you sort of had a foot in both places and, and you right. have a very interesting and, viewpoint. And, and even Mighty Networks is a foot in both places in the sense that, that we, are a, um, we are a company that similar to Shopify serves businesses. But our product at the end of the day serves businesses by being an incredible consumer experience. So is B to B to C a fair thing to say yes. about Mighty Networks? Sure. Sure. In the same way you would say that about Shopify, you would say that about Mighty Networks. What what Shopify's done for e-commerce is what we want to do for, you know, membership and rewards 
events, online courses, all the digital services side. So the thing I think is is really interesting, to, like I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the other really interesting aspect of this is there is something to be said that if you are an entrepreneur who wants to increase the odds of success, build a real business. Zoom is a real business. You pay Zoom and then they get to build a better product because you pay them for it. Yes. We can call that a SaaS service. We can call it like, we can call it, you know, enterprise tech. We can call it whatever. It's a fucking business. People pay you money because they get value. (laughs) Right. And some people are going to start and use it for free. We have a free version of a mighty network. But fundamentally, what's so nice about it is when you look at creating a consumer company, which today is just, you know, it's not only a hit driven business, but let's say you have a hit. Guess what happens? What happens is, you know, the, the, the Chinese conglomerates are going to steal, you know, steal your idea in about 10 seconds. And now the Chinese market's gone. And if you get to a big enough size, look at Snapchat, like, we're either going to buy you or we're going to kill you. And that is the reality. Am I I wrong here? But what Instagram did with Instagram stories to Snapchat is a stunner. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And they could do it because Snapchat was, um, was an advertising based business. They didn't compete differently on the business model. So, I'm a big believer in, you know, never enter a market where you haven't sort of sat down and said, okay, what does the, what do the incumbents in this market do? And how do we go line by line by line by line to create a 180 degree polar opposite business experience? Because I think that's the only way that you can start to even, you know, live to fight another day. So that's just a way to build on what, what I think your, your premise that you put out is, is spot on. Um, and I think it's, I think for most entrepreneurs, it's also like, don't go build tech. If you've never built tech before, find your niche, build an audience and make sure that, you know, you're owning the relationship with that customer, with that consumer in, and take advantage of services that let you, you know, let you do that um, and do that really well and focus on the things that you care, you know, you care about, you're passionate about, and you're good at the number of the number of skeletons and casualties of custom development is for a different podcast, but like it is, Oh my God, Chris, like it is something, you know, we see a lot of people come to us after they've spent, tens, if not hundreds, if not millions of dollars on custom software, custom apps that they had never done it before. So they didn't know what questions to ask. And, you know, it, it's slowing down the progress to this new world that we are, we are right around the corner from where niche brands and businesses and creators with a purpose are creating their own worlds that are meaningful to people and helping people 
be the absolute best versions of themselves in whatever way they define that. And the faster we get to that world, I think, you know, the better off we're all going to be. So I I couldn't agree with you more. And there's a big idea here and I think you're on it and I want to see if I can crystallize it with you. So one, one of the things I love about doing this podcast is I swear to God, I have learned more in the last two years than probably the last 20. I mean, I just, yeah. I've read oh, more no. books and I've talked, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it a sec, but I want okay, to uh, crystallize this sure. point. So uh, we've had David Cancel and uh, Dave Gerhardt on from Drift and Sangram on from Flip Your Funnel, right? And um, interestingly enough, in both cases, and I'm not quite sure how they both got there, but they got to this place where it's like, well, we've started a company. We don't really have anything to sell yet. We kind of think we know what our niche is. We think we know what the problem is. We're working on the solution, but it might be 18, 20, you know, it might be some period of time before we ha- you know, have really anything to sell. And so as marketers, what the fuck do we do? Well, in both cases, in slightly different ways, but very similar pattern recognition that I see here. And I think this is maybe what you're talking about. Yeah. In both cases, uh, both marketing or marketing leaders said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to build audience around our ideas, around the problem, around the niche, around like-minded people who think the way we think about the the topics that we're going to care about here. And they get out there and they write books and they blog and they've podcast and they this and they that. And there's not really much of a product, but they're in the game. They're creating a conference. They're doing exactly the, you know, they're building their position in a niche and and creating community and interest and engagement around the ideas and the problem long before they have a product launch. And then when they finally have a product, they have all these people that they found and, and engaged digitally in some kind, in some cases, uh, physically as well, um, who care about this shit. And then when they go, ta-da, here's my thing, everybody goes, oh, well, we've been loving you for uh, two years on these ideas. You must have a good thing. Right. Well, Is this I'll a new trend we're seeing in marketing I'll, here? Absolutely, but I will take it a step back. Maybe you don't even need the, like this whole notion that a community isn't a product is bullshit. Like the community is the product. The ability to bring people together, to learn, to connect and to build relationships with each other. What do you think Facebook is? You're just doing it for your niche. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, I'll let you go. Amen. Hallelujah. This has been awesome. Thanks as for you coming know. back, Gina. Really appreciate the time. And, you know, thanks to everybody for listening. If you've made it this far, including me picking up the phone to tell somebody that I, I got to I gotta go. But anyways, thanks, Chris. I'll, I'll, Thank we'll you, talk Gina. soon. All right. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. There she is, Gina Bianchini. Uh, man, I, uh, I really enjoy hanging out with her. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And um, if you know somebody who might love this uh, conversation with Gina, why not share with them? Now, our good friends at NetSuite think it's time for you to move your business to the cloud. If your uh, core business applications are not in the cloud, now's the time. Because cloud technologies, the interesting thing to me about the cloud, it, it, was, it, it began with the internet, but it really accelerated with the cloud. Cloud technologies level the playing the field, field between small companies and giant companies. 
today, the smallest of companies can have the infrastructure that's akin to a Fortune 500 company. And NetSuite has been a pioneer in cloud technologies. As a matter of fact, NetSuite is the category king in cloud ERP. They offer growing businesses a complete business management platform that gives you real-time visibility into all of your operations. Business management software that handles uh, all your processes, including um, uh, HR, finance, sales, accounting, orders. And NetSuite is surprisingly cost-effective. It's the one source of truth for everything, revenue, expenses, the whole shebang. NetSuite even has a powerful set of CRM capabilities and omni-channel selling and international capabilities. And as a uh, regular listener to this podcast, NetSuite is offering you a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. So go to netsuite.com slash different and learn how to tar- turbocharge the growth of your business today. netsuite.com slash different. All right. We would like to thank the wonderful folks at Mighty Networks. This is the place where creators of all of all kinds can build legendary niche communities. Check out MightyNetworks.com. One Life Fully Lived. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Go to onelifefullylived.org slash Lockhead to learn more about our conference in October 2019 in beautiful Long Beach, California. That's the number one, lifefullylived.org slash C-L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D. All right, and uh, our friend Andre Iguodala, his great new book is coming out. It's called The Sixth Man. Check it out. And uh, speaking of great books, Niche Down, How to Become Legendary by Being Different, the number one bestseller by Heather Clancy and myself. And the official coffee of uh, this podcast is Verve Coffee, the leader in West Coast craft coffee. You can find them in Santa Cruz, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Tokyo, and always at vervecoffee.com. And the amazing people at Kiva.org. They uh, uh, provide micro loans that make a giant difference to entrepreneurs in the, de- in the developing world, and you can be part of it at kiva.org. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and we love it if you shared it. We must remind you that all rights do remain disturbed. <laughs> and this podcast is clearly created in a studio that does contain nuts. Teach entrepreneurship. Practice legendary community and tribe building. I don't feel tardy. Listen to the Ramones. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Harvey Weinstein. Sorry, Harv, we just ran out of time for you. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. I really do appreciate it. Stay legendary. and, And until we are together again, follow your difference.